0: Welcome to the show. I'm Greg McEwen and I'm your host on the What's Essential podcast. In Essentialism, I wrote that the antidote to a state of constant busyness and distraction was to identify the activities that are truly essential and eliminate everything else. In hindsight, I realized that I underemphasized a critical piece of the equation. That perhaps the biggest thing that actually keeps us from doing what's essential is the false idea that everything that's important has to take tremendous effort. But what if instead we consider the possibility that the reason things feel so hard is simply that we haven't found an easier way to do it yet? For the month of April, the What's Essential podcast discusses these principles which will be fully explored in my new book, Effortless, where you'll learn how to transform tedious tasks into joyful rituals. To solve problems completely before they even arise, to simplify your processes, and much more. I wrote Effortless for you, to help you make the most essential activities the easiest ones, and I can't wait to share all that I've learned with you. So after this episode, pre order your copy of Effortless at the link in the description. Let's begin. Tanya, welcome to the What's Essential podcast.
1: I am so excited to be here because I can tell you we had a great time having you on my podcast. So I'm, I've been excited about this.
0: Yeah, it was really a pleasure to be on your podcast, and, and so happy to have you on this. And I mean, can you just help me, given your work, given your research, given your writing, if somebody is listening to this today and they're in the midst of pandemic burnout? right they've done this for a year they have used up a lot of their resources energy maybe <laughs> they're <they've>, all done <laughs> they've done they've been, they've gri- grinding effort uh, to make it through and here they are you know they're on the edge of a transition with all of that implication they're they're, they're but they're hard workers they're achievers they're successful but what what should they do now?
1: Mm, I love this question because I think this is a thing is we want to be an achiever. And so we set this bar so high for ourselves that it's almost unattainable. So we're just constantly chasing after this this impossible finish line that's moving again and again. So I think first of all, the first thing we have to do is we have to stop and really redefine what does success, what does achievement look like? We have to stop turning our necks left and right and watching what everybody else is doing and choose instead what is important to me. Or to use your terminology, we you could say what is essential. And to me, this is what life is really all about. It's and, and priorities are what drives us. It's not about doing more things. And I think people think when it comes to being productive, because a lot of people are constantly chasing this idea of being productive, productivity is not about doing more, it is doing what is most important. It's cutting through the clutter and the noise and really taking the time to define that for yourself. And if there's one great silver lining with all of this that we've gone through with this pandemic, it's that suddenly a lot of those priorities have become so much more clear. We're suddenly realizing, hold on a minute, what have I been doing with my time? How have I been spending my days? And so that's, that to me is one of the, the great things that has been happening. There's a lot of tough things that have been happening. Let's not lie. But the beauty of it is we're able to see, okay, these are the things that are important. This is what I need to double down on. So that's what I tell people is just to stop and let's figure out what is most important to you.
0: I love that answer. I think at the beginning of the pandemic, we were all involuntary essentialists. Mm-hmm. You know, we yes. Were told, yes. go to your room and have a think about it.
1: I mean, it was like we were on the Titanic and we were being pushed onto the lifeboats. And it's like, how much can you bring with you on those lifeboats?
0: Oh, yeah. I like that metaphor. Like, what what can you actually, what really matters?
1: (laughs) Well, and this is the thing is, yeah, until you have an emergency, until your boat is sinking, you don't know what to throw overboard because everything feels important. And then suddenly you get into a situation where everything's hitting the fan, the boat is sinking, and you're like, oh, you know what? This isn't important. This isn't important. This is no longer important. It just cuts through everything else and clarifies what you really want, what you really need, and what is truly important to you.
0: I can think of no more profound event in, you know, in our lifetimes than, than this moment. That such a collective moment where, you know, maybe not every person in the world really, but I would say at least a third of the world was within a few days of each other, just forced to ask this question and suddenly discover that so many things that the week before you said, well, I have to do this. I have to. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's not. It's inarguable. It's unthinkable. It wasn't questioned. Suddenly, you're like, "Well, I'm not going to be." So, <laughs> yes, that's what, no
1: longer working.
0: <laughs> so, now, so now, what am I going to do? So, you you see that there was opportunity in that.
1: Oh, definitely.
0: So now, as we're going into this transition, as we're going back into life, I mean, give me, let's say, like, give me the three most actionable. Concrete things that somebody listening to this and myself as well can do to be able to uh, continue with the lessons, the opportunities that have been in this challenge. Uh, I mean, what? Give, give me it tangibly.
1: Yes. So I would say the first thing is to throw out your to-do list. I don't like to-do lists. People are always shocked when they're like, "You talk about productivity and there's no to-do list." I, I think a to-do list takes you everywhere, but where you want to go. I think it takes you into a thousand different directions, absolutely, because a to-do list is way too long. People just keep tacking things on, and it's no surprise that so many people are ending their days feeling unsatisfied, unsuccessful. I mean, here's a question right now for the listeners. When's the last time that your head hit the pillow and you thought, great day today, you did amazing work, or did you think, "Ah, oh, didn't get enough done, oh, I should have gotten, I should have worked harder, I should have done this, I should have done that. Our to-do list works against us. So instead of making a to-do list, I advocate making a priority list. So it's essentially the same amount of time that it takes to make a to-do list. You just add a little intentionality behind it. You add a little bit of thought and you prioritize. And so I, I walk people through three categories that we go through. It's basically loosely based off the Eisenhower matrix, where you have important and you have urgent tasks. So you start at the top with what is important and what is urgent. Those are your escalate tasks. Those are the tasks you want to handle first. And there should only be a few of them, right? We want to minimize how many things are on this this priority list because it's priorities, not just things to do. Um, And then the second category is cultivate. These are things that are important, but they're not urgent. So there's no looming deadline. There's no fire behind them. This is actually the place where we get the most growth. This is the place where we actually do the things that are truly important to us, but a lot of times we push them aside because there is no urgency. So I tell people that should be the biggest part of your priority list. And then the bottom of this priority list is the third category, accommodate, which are things that are not important truly to drive you closer to your goals, your life purpose. They're not really important things, but they're urgent tasks. So they're urgent, so they... They feel like they're important because they're a fire and you feel like you got to put it out. So if you make a priority list, it's shorter, it's focused. You start at the top and you work your way down. I think a lot of people, and I speak to to people in all different walks of life, all different industries, and I'll say, how are you doing? How's your business? How's life? And the word I hear again and again and again is overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by the tasks they have to do, overwhelmed by the projects on their plate, overwhelmed by their own to-do list. And I say overwhelm isn't about isn't having too much to do. Overwhelm is not knowing where to start. And when you know where to start, you're so empowered to take that next step, that next tiny action to get the momentum going. And that right there is what a priority list does for you.
0: Yeah, I love that line. Overwhelmed is not having too much to do, it's not knowing where to start. Yes, I I like that. When when everything starts to feel like the priority, where everything seems urgent and and important all the time, and you just can't discern between any of it. Yeah, I think that is what it means to be overwhelmed. You just, I mean, you literally just don't even know where, as you say, to begin. Okay, so this is these are the tasks. I want to just talk through this a little bit. Of course, I'm familiar with the Eisenhower Matrix, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure most people listening are as well, but this is where you have on um, one axis is the level of importance. And on the other axis, you have the level of urgency. And right. as, as you say, there's there's one category you don't want to spend any time in, and that's the stuff that's, uh, I mean, anything that's unimportant.
1: <laughs> right. Well, why do we even list it?
0: <laughs> I like what you're saying here. I like this structure. So So if I'm going to use this today, if someone's going to use this, I start it with the Escalate Tasks. How many tasks should I have under that in what you're suggesting with this priority list?
1: Honestly, one or two. One or two at the most, because the beauty of it is if you are using the priority list, you're spending most of your time in that second category of Cultivate, tasks that are important but not urgent. And therefore, because you're spending time more time there you're able to do better quality work you're able to really think and be creative you're better you're able to be proactive rather than reactive you're not getting to that sense of urgency and so those tasks never make their way up to escalate that's really mm-hmm. the goal is we want just one or two things in that escalate area
0: so i could imagine that at the beginning of doing this people would have more escalate tasks but over time they're going to be spending more time in the cultivation area. And so they have fewer things that become urgent. Yes, Is that a a fair approach?
1: I would say that's a fair approach. It's almost like you gotta dig yourself out of the hole, right? (laughs) You gotta dig yourself out of the hole first and then get it going. But again, we don't have to tackle even things that are urgent. What I would encourage people to do is ask, is it really important? You know, or again, to use your terminology, is it really essential? Because a lot of times the things that we're saying yes to are not truly the things that are important to us. We're saying yes out of obligation. We're saying yes out of guilt. And we all know that every time we say yes, we're saying no to something else. And most times that thing we're saying no to are the things that are truly important. They're our family, they're our passion projects, they're they're the things that we love and we want to spend our time doing. But we're so busy people pleasing and making sure that everybody else is happy with what we're doing, we're pleasing everybody on our list, but ourselves. So I would take a good hard look first. That would be the first thing I would do is, are these tasks truly important? And make it almost black and white. Either it's a yes or it's a no. There's no eh, maybe, if it's a maybe, that's a no. I think it should be that clear.
0: Yeah, you're saying if it isn't a clear yes, then make it a clear no. Force Definitely. force some function
1: mm-hmm. to
0: help yes. you actually select between them. Um, okay. So, so I'm doing this as we're going along. So I've, I've written down one item that I think is essential uh, for me, uh, but also urgent. Uh, I, I haven't had the chance to sort of really do it for a, a second thing here, but I've just, I've just thought of one right now. So I'm going to write that down. Um, then moving on now to the cultivate area, how many tasks should I have there within one day?
1: I mean, I think it varies from day to day. And this is what people love. That they want to know They want to know exactly what they're supposed to do. And the truth of the matter is you're supposed to do exactly what feels right to you. If you're filling your to-do list and every day you're getting to the end of it, I like to do like a, a rating at the end of each day, right? Like just to do a quick check-in. I call it the five minutes to peak productivity where you do a quick little check-in. And one of the things you check in on is how did I do with the things on my plate? Did I, Did I get them all done? If you are consistently ending your days and there is, you know, a bunch of tasks that are still sitting there. If you're rating your your day at like a a seven or an eight, that's not high enough. We want to have more nine and ten days. If you're consistently putting too much on your plate where you're ending your day feeling like, oh, didn't get this done, didn't get that done, we need to shorten that list. So there's not one definitive answer. If there's one thing that I truly believe, it's that productivity needs to be customized and personalized to you. And I think this is the reason why so many productivity systems have failed people in the past. They think there's this magic button they have to press or this, this magic system. And then they put that front and center and then they try to wrap their life around it. And it it doesn't work because our lives are, well, first of all, our lives are messy, but they ebb and they flow and we have kids and we have all these different things that come up and we're not really creating the system around us. If we switch that model, if we put ourselves front and center, if we put what is important to us, our priorities, our purpose, the things that I consider your North Star, your, your core values, your vision, your mission, the priorities that are important to you. Put those front and center. Let's wrap the system around that instead. Let's customize it so it truly fits you and your strengths and your weaknesses. I think we have to stop pretending like we don't have weaknesses. We are all beautifully imperfect and it's a fabulous, wonderful thing because it makes us all unique and different. Let's stop pretending like we don't have those and choose instead to embrace them and create a system that plays to those weaknesses as well as our strengths.
0: This episode is sponsored by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you... Cha-ching. Sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at Shopify.com slash Greg. All lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash Greg now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Greg. Yeah, I, I I like everything you just said as well. Now I'm gonna come back to your priority list st- structure. So I've been working now on the cultivate task list. And I've identified a couple of areas there. And I am struck when I look at my examples that they are, I mean, they are as they're supposed to be. They feel really important and they also don't feel urgent. And it's easy to see yes. how, uh, how both of them haven't happened this week. I mean, right. I can share one of them, which is, um, uh, which is playing tennis with my son. Uh, he's asked for the last couple of days to do it. Uh, I want to do it. It's not a motivational problem. It's important, so it's not an alignment problem. Uh, but of course, it's, it's not as urgent as other things are. And so it hasn't been scheduled. You're not trying to just look at your schedule and prioritize it. You're trying to make sure that what's essential is getting on the schedule in the
1: first place. Yes, we, we have to stop looking at ourselves as victims of time. We are not victims of time. We are owners of our time. And when we flip this on its head and we stop looking at tasks as what we need to accomplish based solely on time, we become, we become more powerful. We become the owners of our day. Because like like you said right there with your son playing tennis, that's really what you want to do. But it's not happening because it's like, I don't have the time for it. I don't have the time for it. We're letting time make those decisions instead of letting our heart, our priorities truly drive those.
0: Now there's an interesting idea that you said there about what feels what feels right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I like that answer because it's it challenges us and me in this moment to think about discernment. Yes, of course, yes. that's got to be the answer. I've got to be discerning inside and taking a moment to discern wh- you know, what it, what seems possible, what seems reasonable. Um what feels right (laughs) to do, how much feels right to do uh, in in all of this. Now, help me with this. As I move to the third area, accommodate, I think, well, accommodate for me, is that the things that are already on my calendar? I mean, the things that are on my calendar, generally speaking, are things that I value. They're things I decided to do at some point. Fairly deliberate and intentional about about what goes on there in the first place. Um, I see. Uh, sometimes sometimes blow it as an <laughs> list. I have it fairly top of mind to try and uh, to try and really live what I uh, espouse. And
1: yes, it's important to eat what you cook. I think it's really important. I agree.
0: <laughs> yeah, and so with that, like, am I accommodating the things on the calendar? Because sometimes the things on the calendar once you actually hit the day, aren't these items under cultivate? So is that what I'm accommodating or what, what should I be putting in the accommodate section?
1: Really what you're putting under accommodate are the things you think you should be doing or the tasks that really aren't important like picking up the dry cleaning, returning a shirt to Target, um, kind of the minutia that just has to happen in your day that's just part of you know running life, uh, just those type of tasks. So okay. they're not really important, but they're things that you're like, well, yeah, this needs to get done. And it has to get done by the end of the day because, you know, the shirt is has to be returned in the 30 day policy or whatever it is. So we accommodate those. We don't we don't rotate our day. We don't wrap our day around those things. We accommodate them and kind of slip them in our schedule wherever they fit. We're not saying we're not going to do them. We're just actively choosing not to make those the priority, not to do those things first. Because that's what mm-hmm. happens is our brain loves that dopamine hit, right? It lo- that's the thing too with the to-do list is our brain automatically goes for that really quick, easy win because, oh, that dopamine feels so good when we cross that off our list. Mm-hmm. So we're spending our day chasing after these unimportant things that are easy to check off because we're dopamine addicts. We, we love that high we get when we check something off our list. There's nothing more satisfying. People will actually write things on their list just to check them off. And I say that as somebody who's done that (laughs) myself. We're all guilty of doing that, right? And so that's the thing is we we want to not do those tasks first by putting them at the bottom of our list, We're reminding ourselves that this is not what's going to drive that feeling at the end of the day of satisfaction, of success, of feeling really good. My goal in life and my goal with the joy of missing out, my goal with my podcast and everything else is to empower people. To go to bed at night and feel good about their days, to stop worrying about all the things they didn't do, stressing about how they're not living up to these unrealistic expectations, and instead truly live a productive life where everything that is important to them is front and center.
0: So I, I like everything you're saying. The this idea of the five minute check-in at the end of the day, how did I do? How am I feeling about it? I you know, I love that. For me it's part of my mental health.
1: Yes. It really is.
0: Not just to do a check-in. What works for me and and uh, gives me an ounce of sanity, even on very intense days, is, and it doesn't sound very new. It, it, people have heard it before, but literally to write out the big things I'm grateful for from that day.
2: And yes. mm-hmm. And
0: there's, there's a few advantages of this. It's almost like a reverse to-do list, I suppose, um, and- where where you say where you say here's all the stuff that got done here's all the things that worked here's and and there's a couple of things that really hit me about that recently one is it helps you to see all the invisible work you're doing so that you can see the progress being made mm-hmm. and and then two i'm struck myself like this week by how I can feel sometimes at the end of the day oh my goodness there's you know there's so much still to do but then I'll go through the proce- this process and I will be amazed that there was like, some major win or even a couple of major wins today
1: Yes. Well, here's the thing. I I call it having a marble jar in your head is basically what it is. I go into this in the book is this idea and this concept that are you familiar with like the marble jar trick? It's like what teachers do when the kids in the classroom do a good job. They pop a marble in the jar or when you're let's say when you're potty training a kid, you put a marble in the jar every time they do something good. And then when the jar fills up, we give them a reward. It's just a little bit of a reward system. Well, we do that in our day. We we do something good. Got up, worked out, marble in the jar. Oh, made lunch for the kids, a marble in the jar. It was a healthy lunch, two marbles in the jar. Uh, I got this work done on this project, more marbles in the jar, more marbles. And all throughout the day, we're adding these marbles to our jar. But then what happens is this, one thing goes wrong. One thing doesn't happen perfectly. We forget the ingredients for dinner. We, we slip up and we forget to, to call our best friend on their birthday. We do something that's a minor slip up, but what happens is we lose our grip on that marble jar and it just smashes. All the marbles are everywhere. We've forgotten all the good we've done and it's all over the place. And we feel like, oh, can't do anything right. Our brain is wired to attract itself, like Velcro, to negativity to see what we didn't do well. And it does that because our brain is wired for survival. It wants us to remember when you touch fire, you burn, right? And we feel unsatisfied. We feel frustrated with our day. And that is why it's so important with the five minutes to peak productivity going through, there's one. the first minute of that exercise is taking a moment to reflect on your accomplishments because nine times out of 10, you're going to be shocked. Wow, I did a lot more than I thought I had. Um, you know, minute two is spent evaluating our day. Like we talked about, how would you rate today? How did you put too much on your plate? Do I need to shift how much I'm putting on my priority list? Uh, Minute three is for how did you move closer to a goal today? What did you do? Something small, something tiny, something big to move towards a goal. Minute four, writing down three things we're grateful for, for that day in particular. And then minute five is for getting the things out of your head and onto the paper. Because we use our heads as this giant filing cabinet where we're still thinking about work when we're at home, we're stressing about things, we write it down. And then what I love to tell people to do is you take that five minutes to peak productivity, you rip it off, you put it on your desk, you use that as your water for the well to set up tomorrow's priority list the next day. You leave it there on your desk so that that way you start your day looking over. Wow, look what I did yesterday. That feels good. Dopamine hit. Wow, look at the things I was grateful for dopamine hit. Okay, what am I going to work on for t- for today? Oh, I've already listed a few things out, some ideas to get me started. So you can see it gives you momentum. I'm all about momentum and building inertia.
0: So I, I, I love that structure you just described in those sort of minute one through five. Uh, mm-hmm. Without trying to be pedantic about it, I cannot do what you're describing in five minutes. I don't know if I'm doing it wrong or I'm just doing it whatever. But like, to me, it takes me. I don't know. I mean, honest. If I'm honest about it, it probably takes yeah. me an hour, and and I'm feel I feel a little mixed about that because, for example, this week I've done it. I do it pretty religiously, but it will take me. You know, I'm 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 giving up sleep to do it. So I don't know if we don't want
1: to do that. We don't want to sacrifice sleep to do something like that, right? So again, it's not about whether you're doing it right or wrong. I want us to do away with what we think we are supposed to do. What would work for you? It may not be doing all five of those things. It may be taking two of them and doing that, or it may be taking one of them. Really, again, this goes back to that idea of let's, let's create systems that truly do work for you. If you feel like it's gonna take you an hour, let's throw that out the window. let's create something that is going to work for you. This is just a springboard to get people thinking, to get people to have an idea of this is how I could do it. But you don't have to do it that way. And that's what I tell people when I'm teaching and when I'm coaching you on this is what I've seen works for other people. These are the things that have worked for me in growing and scaling my business. These are the things that have. It doesn't mean that this is how you have to do it. I'm giving you a framework so you can modify it and make it work. You can plug and play and use exactly what I've given you, but you have absolute permission from me if you need it and you don't. But you have absolute permission to twist it and turn it and make it really work for you. Customize it so it feels really solid to you.
0: Let me ask you this question. The question I put to you earlier on was like three specific things. And the first you've given is the priority list. Uh And we've talked through that. The second is this check-in. Don't jump to the third yet because I have a challenging you know, situation to offer you.
1: Oh, I like this. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, what you've effectively said, especially in the priority list, maps to the idea uh, that that most of us have heard of about the uh, the big rocks theory, right? Mm-hmm. The big rocks theory, you know, of course, effectively says you know you have a container. If you put all the small tasks in the uh, the urgent but unimportant, uh, you know, it, you know, you fill it up with all the uh, the the, the, the minutia, uh, mm-hmm. items first, and then you put in the small rocks. Okay, maybe that's the urgent and important stuff. You put it, and then and then you put the urgent, the, the non-urgent but uh, important in last. If you do it in that order, there isn't room. If you put in the big rocks first, uh, you know, if you do it in the order you've said, escalate, cultivate, accommodate, um, then then it fits. Okay, now that's how it's supposed to work. And I'm a completely in, in, in alignment with this, a believer, uh, that, that is in a sense what essentialism is arguing. But I mean, the whole reason that I ended up writing effortless is because
1: mm-hmm.
0: I started to see sort of cracks in the theory and I would summarize it with this question, which is like, what if there are just too many big rocks?
1: Yes. How do you prioritize when everything's a priority? Right. Well, not everything. Well, it's, the,
0: it's a slight, yes, but with a slight distinction, which is that if you have stripped away the non essential
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you're left with the essential, but they still don't fit. And that like actually happened to me. Right. So I was being more selective than I'd ever been in my life. Uh, have a, have a, then then but you know doing the things I want to do doing the things that feel right I actually think I was doing the right things for the right reasons, um and and feel very grateful for all that came with that, but then in addition to that have a family crisis that comes up that mm-hmm. is now this huge thing. My options were well, what like what do you do? Give me the actionable thing. That I should do and for those listening that are in a similar feeling, they they have more essential responsibilities than they know what to do with because suddenly they're doing home education, they're responsible for that. They don't want to drop that rock. They go no, well figure out that.
1: Mm-hmm. It's um, a heavy rock. <laughs> it's,
0: it's a big, heavy rock.
1: It is, it's a boulder is
0: what it is. They say, Okay, well, my health, I've got to do that. That's important, mm-hmm. but that's a little trickier. There's the room I used to do that in maybe is being utilized for something else. It's got to be my office as well. You know this. This pandemic of course it provided opportunity, but it's also provided this. This I think. You know, I, I was just talking to to Eve Rodsky. She said there's a 153 percent increase. So of of invisible work for working women through yes. the pandemic. Mm-hmm. That is saying the same thing. It's saying what happens if you have too many big rocks? What do you do there? Give me something actionable. I know it's a big challenge.
1: That is a big challenge. I think you wrote a whole book on this, Greg. Oh. <laughs> you want me to sum up an answer in one sentence and you wrote a whole book? Come on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just want to know, is there something... I mean, you, you can pivot it back by... I mean, you, you obviously were kind enough to read the book and we talked about it on your podcast. So you could pivot back from something that stands out to you from that. But I just want to see if, if what, what you would suggest to someone in that situation.
1: Yes. Well, I think one of the big things that happens, quite frankly, is a lot of times we think things are important because we think they're important to other people. And so I think the first thing you do is you open up, especially if you're talking about a lot of family obligations, which especially if we're talking to women, that is definitely true. I I like to say we take off our CEO hat and we go home and we put on our CEO of the home hat. Uh, There's there's a whole other job waiting for you at the end of a workday. Um, but really opening up conversation with your family and looking at our teams, our teams at work and our teams at home to see how we can support and encourage each other, how we can take things off our plate. I think so often we feel like we have to do all the heavy lifting and we think we have to hold that build, that boulder up all by ourselves when really our team is there to help us. So really looking at how you can bring team in, whether that's, your your spouse or your you know other people you know possibly you know an assistant or outsourcing or using you know different services to take care of some of these things that are important to you or even looking at your children i think a lot of times we, we do so much for our kids to their own detriment i think that so often we're we're taking away the opportunity to allow our own children to be team players on our team at home in pursuit of giving them an amazing life and, and out of love. It, it's not out of you know any sort of detriment we're trying to do for them. But think about any time when you have kids that you say, oh, I need help with this. Can you help me? Your kids are happy to pitch in. And so I usually challenge women, especially, are you, are you really allowing the other players on your team to be a member of the team? Or are you holding everybody up and exhausting yourself? So often we tell ourselves this story that nobody else can do it as well as we can. Nobody else is going to be able to, to perform or take care of this to the way that I can. And I would say this, 80% done well by someone else is better than 100% done right by you. Let go of some of that perfection that tells you it has to be done a certain way. Let go of the perfection that tells you that nobody else can do it your way. And start opening up those channels to share these boulders with other people.
0: Yeah, I I like what you're saying. There's something sometimes about the most important activities in our lives. I've seen that often Mm -hmm. in people that, that once they start thinking about the essentials, that there's a default assumption that means they have to do it. Yes. Uh, Then those aren't related ideas. Just because something is important to you doesn't mean you have to be the one to own it. It just means it's important to you that it is done. What I found myself discovering was, well, I've got to actually create systems of support. You know, if I want Anna not to burn out, right, if I want me not to burn out if I want our children Mm -hmm. not to burn out I've got to create a system of support
1: I think it's it's Dan Sullivan who says who not how right stop asking how you're going to do it and start asking who is going to do it if we start shifting that and instead of thinking how am I going to get this done and we bring in these support systems I love that, that you and Anna are doing this together and you're really taking a good look it's it's no different than, you know, when we're in our office and we look at the org chart of who's responsible and then we realize, oh my gosh, this one person's doing way too much. We, we don't realize it because I love that term, invisible work that you're using. It's so true. We don't even recognize it or realize it. And the people around us don't either, unless we share that. We'll call it sharing the wealth, even though it's sharing the work, <laughs> right? Yeah.
0: Well, you know this this is right, and I think that I think that this is i I am someone who has been quite mm-hmm. critical of corporatism and its unintentional effect on human behavior and one of the ways I think that this has affected even sort of a traditional family structure, and of course, there's people listening to this from all sorts of structures, but but in that traditional family structure where you have a, a, a man going to work, so to speak, so to listen mm-hmm. to our language, that's so corporatism right there, uh, and, and uh, the, the woman is working at home, even in that structure, the presumption that, well, that's your job. You have a corporate job. That's what you're doing. You're providing for the family. that's it. Really? Right. That's a, who, who made that mm-hmm. rule? I mean, for 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 millennia, that's not how it worked. Families worked at home in cottage industries. Families worked at home on the farm. There wasn't, I think, quite the same complete division of labor. If you take a bigger, broader view of history, I think it's quite a, a modern concept that says, "Well, yeah, man, you do the work out there." Like, I think this division of labor we're talking about is is necessary, separating up our family responsibilities more equitably is a an example of pushing corporatism out of our life and saying yes i would agree and saying look let's you know we have these responsibilities we need to take them on and we need to work together to create the the support systems to do it
1: i like to say too we're we're so busy looking at our own plate and what we have on our plate we don't realize what everybody else has on their plates Right. We're so busy looking down at those plates and all the things that we have going on. We don't even recognize. And so it's really just we're not we're not using that. We I, I like I like how you're talking in terms of we because we are a team. We are a community. We need to come together. I mean, we are designed we are wired to live in communities, not just even our small family, our atomic families You know that we have. We're really designed to, to have a support system that goes well beyond the people who live in the four walls of our home.
0: I think that there's a, a weakness that was like a, a fault in our stars before the pandemic that has been highlighted in the pandemic. You know, the the idea of the nuclear family, for example, uh, is a concept that really came of age in the era of television. Prior to that, Mm -hmm. I mean, literally, the average household was uncle, grandmother, you know, parents, yes, this kid. Yes. Maybe Mm -hmm. there's a border. I mean, this is, when you look back at the census you know, censuses in 1880s, you know, so on, and I've done that, it's quite amazing to see what the family household structure really was like. So television taught us that it was supposed to be, you know, mum, dad, two kids. And I think-
1: Boy and girl. That's
0: right. That's what <laughs> yes. it is. You, you know it. And, and, yes. and then we have this, this, we sort of de-emphasized the idea of even intergenerational family and with that community- I think it's really clear that in the pandemic, the isolation has been a huge cause of burnout. So it's not just number of tasks that we've covered and talked about already. It's also just, and you're alone doing it. I really don't care who you are. You are more isolated today than you were a year ago. You know, whatever your comfort level was before, you've got extroverts and introverts, but whatever level, you are at least a standard deviation more isolated than you were before. And I think that's a big part of the cause of this deep burnout that we're experiencing. And so being deliberate about that, it's not just self care, it's how do I get support? It's whatever you can possibly do to construct a sense of support and community around you uh, that will, I think, well, I know, eases the inevitable burdens that people are under. Give us the final word.
1: I mean, this is a thing that we were we circled around throughout this whole episode. It's it's really that we're we're understanding, we're beginning to clarify a lot more of, of what is most important, and we're starting to to recognize, yes, spending time with my family, that needs to be on my priority list. That needs to be more important. Whereas before we took it for granted. And like anything else, when we when it's just as part of like the normal day to day goings on with our, our world, we don't really appreciate it. And I think I think that is right there us enjoying the joy of missing out. It's choosing to miss out on the things that we don't want to do. And instead choosing to do the things that do bring us joy, do bring us happiness, getting our family closer together, uh, creating ways and systems to make that happen instead of continuing to take them for granted. So I think there's a lot of shifts that are happening in our world today in so many fashions. And I think it's going to be really exciting to see as we move forward into the next couple of years, what those repercussions look like. What is what is some of the really good things that come from this time we've had? We've we've shared in this experience, we've shared in this trauma altogether, and it's it's going to be exciting to see. What does that look like? And how are we going to shift to really focus in on what is truly most important?
0: I said, yeah, I was gonna give you the last word. I'm changing my mind because what you just said, <laughs> is um puts me in this place which is we often only understand what we really value in its violation yes and the pandemic has given us opportunity to explore to figure out what matters to eliminate what doesn't matter it's given us that opportunity but it's also shown that some things were eliminated that we actually really do need And so I think some of us coming out of this experience can value new things because we've experienced what it is to live without them. Extended family, community support systems, I think, are top of mind when I say this. Uh, Tanya Dalton, the author of The Joy of Missing Out, Live More by Doing Less, and the podcast and marvelous other things. Thank you for being on the What's Essential podcast today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, essentialists, one and all, we've come to that moment again, the end of the show. Thank you really sincerely for listening. It's been amazing to see what's happened already with this show. The show has become, in fact, the top 3% of podcasts globally within just the first five months of its launch. And that's because of you. You have made this special. And I want to end, as I always do, reminding you that if you don't do anything else, just ask what's essential and eliminate as much as possible everything else.
2: This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit.